We move on down again through Hebrews 11, the portion of scripture from which we've been capturing most of our messages lately. There is this one verse that stands out as peculiar. In Hebrews 11, it says in verse 31, remember moving through some of the greatest names of Christian faith. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. Excuse me. By faith, the common hooker Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And that's it. It moves on to the next name. But there's a deeper story, and I wanted to read it to you. From Joshua chapter 2. Israel has been freed from slavery, wandering in the desert, and now it's time for them to start making conquests. And Jericho is next. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Excuse me. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below, a prostitute, figuring that out. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, she goes on, that you will show kindness to my family because I've showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that uh, you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. 
sometimes when I read about the things to which God attaches himself with his yeses and the people to whom he attaches himself with a divine yes, all I can do is step back and shake my head. All the options he had to include people in that famous Hebrews 11 text, he picked some pretty squirrely people with some questionable backgrounds. Didn't he do that? Oh, wait, by the way, look to your left and to your right. <laughs> because of all the choices he had to gather people together to sing songs like the one we've just sung and read scripture together like we read scripture and worship him, of all the choices, I mean, he picked people with some pretty squirrely backgrounds, some pretty unlikely heroes. I just shake my head, especially when we think of Hebrews 11, the year of yes, finding your yes, and the connection that has to faith. We've been defining faith as trusting in God's character and then stepping out into his promises. And I really can't think of a better example of someone who, even though late in life, and this is the beginning of her doing that, who trusted in God's character, the character she had only recently discovered, and stepped out into God's promises, nothing had been guaranteed her. I don't even know how she learned about God's promises. Can't think of a better example of that than Rahab just before and during the siege of Jericho. It had been a while, by the way, since some of these historic events that she mentioned uh, had happened. Years and years and years since the Red Sea had parted. Israel had been wandering. The word had gotten out. And the people in this well-fortified city of Jericho were scared. Jericho, you understand, had two walls, not just one. It had an interior wall, which was up sort of on a rise, and then inside this, that was the city. Then there was a gap, kind of like a moat, except not with water, and then down a hill. So can you imagine, and then another wall at the very base of that hill. So it kind of had its walls like this. And then there was this berm that you had to climb up. Could you imagine how difficult that would be to penetrate if you were a conquering army going on a siege, you had to beat down one wall first while they picked you off and then climb up this unstable, unflat berm to try to get to the second wall to get over the wall or through the wall. Pretty challenging. And they were still scared. That's how powerful the reputation and the reality was for Israel. But I can't think of a better person to be trusting in God's character and stepping out into his promises than a person with no stability herself, really, with no social standing herself, this harlot. You know, the older I get, the more I wonder about living like that, like trusting in God's character and stepping out into his promises. The older I get, the more I wonder about being able to live like Rahab lived, even if only in that one moment. I wonder about things of faith, like, for instance, I mean, don't raise your hands, but, you know, nod at me or something when you identify with one of these things you wonder about secretly. Like, why it's so stinking difficult? Come every Sunday in worship, been through three seminary schools, uh, been a Christian, around Christianity all my life, a follower of Christ since 1975, a practitioner, a serious practitioner of this faith. But I've got to tell you, when the blinds are down and the lights are out and I lay down at night and I start thinking about the crazy stuff we believe, 
about what we just celebrated last Sunday? About God coming to earth and becoming a human being in the form of Jesus, building relationships with people, being a model for how humanity was always intended to live. The Bible calls him the second Adam, the one that didn't get it wrong, the one that got it right. I'm crazy. I think this is crazy stuff that I believe. I'm just confessing that to you. It's not where I land. But every once in a while, just like you do, I wonder those things. And yet we still keep showing up. I wonder how I can live with faith in God's character and promises. Think about the circular reasoning here. When it's only by faith itself that I can believe in the God whose character I trust and whose promises I trust. Sometimes I wonder. And sometimes I wonder why I stick with it when most of the promises, at least some of the promises of God, scare the skin off of me. Ever find yourself there? Wonder why something so intangible as faith, so theoretical seemingly as faith, is something I want so much to be true, yet it's so ungraspable, yet so fully experienced at times. That just makes my head spin. The older I get, the more I wonder. And, and I certainly wonder why it's the only way I really want to live why I so deeply long for it all to be true. Sometimes, I've told you before, I'll confess it again, sometimes my prayers are rich and vital and they just flow off of my tongue and I feel them in my heart, but other times I can just catch one breath and all I can find it in my heart to pray is something like this, oh God, oh God, please be real. Because all my chips are in, please be real. Real. And that's just an honest prayer that I hope he, under, I assume he understands. I could just see God listening to that prayer and saying, I, I get that. <laughs> oh, I get it. I know what I'm asking of you all. And I know the voices that come at you from every direction. And I still ask you to live with confidence in my character and stepping into my promises. But the older I get, the more I wonder about some of these things. Are you, are you, are you there or, or is it just me standing up here all by myself? Well, this is a church where we don't want to have to pretend anything. We don't want to have to pretend it's not true when we all know stuff is true. This is a, this is a good, rich, wonderful, adventurous challenge we call Christianity. And just like the songs did earlier on, reminded us of some things that we best not forget, I want to do that through the life of Rahab today. Remind us of a couple of things about faith that it's best we not forget, that we need to remember, and Rahab teaches us some of those things. Here's the first. This is rich. Faith trumps everything. Faith is the divine trump card. And that's good because I live with me, and I know I need a trump card. I know that things come through my mind, actions come, I mean, I can be so loving in one minute and so cruel in the next. What's the scripture say about our tongues? It's this instrument with which we bless people in one moment and curse them the next. And you're going and thinking, I didn't know I was capable of that kind of kindness. And then in the next second, you recognize, but I'm sure capable of that kind of evil. What in the world just happened to me? And it's at moments like that that I need a trump card. You need a trump card? Not to undo things. You still have to go repair 
things when we break things. But this trump card that faith says that is not who you are. When you practice faith, when you hold on to faith, when you express faith, when you have faith in the promises of God, including the promise to redeem us and forgive us and straighten us out and walk with us and make us a new creation, you have faith in that, that trumps the brokenness you just caused, all the broken dishes you just scattered. Now, you still scattered them, and you still have to sweep them up, and people still got hurt, but that no longer defines who you are. Do you see what I'm saying? Faith trumps everything. Hold on to that because there are volumes sent out to us from voices that we need not listen to that try to talk us into believing things that are not true about ourselves when we are people of faith. Faith is the trump card that we all need. And Rahab reminds us of that. I mean, very simply put, Rahab is a prostitute that is chosen by God And he, in that moment, places the whole future of Israel on a prostitute's shoulders because she expressed faith. She didn't express a really developed faith. Remember that portion of the text that I read? She said, look, I know that your God is God. I've heard about what he's done for you. He's the one. And I know that. And so I'd like to align myself with your God and hide you, and make sure you can do your job. But please remember me when, not if, when you conquer this this double-walled city. But she's a prostitute. She doesn't deserve any of that kind of kindness, and neither do we. Faith trumps everything. She was probably an innkeeper, most likely we think that her house was up against that interior wall. So there's an exterior wall and an interior wall. She had a low cost. It was was cheaper than Motel 6. I mean, it was low rent where she was living. And so probably the reason the spies went to her was because that's where the inn was. That's where they could get a room and not be noticed. And it's probably a a lower part of of the city. But in this... In this house that she kept, when you rented a bed to sleep in, you got the benefit of somebody to sleep in it with you. So in that sense, it was a, it was a cat house. It was, a, it was an inn, and you didn't necessarily need to take advantage of the other things that came with it, but that was more normal. But faith trumps all that to where God says, of all the people I want to... Oh, that one's got my heart because she's got faith. And whatever she's done in the past, whatever she is today, I'm going to work in her and we're going to start all over again. I mean, Rahab wasn't, she, she had nothing going for her. Ask any respectable citizen of Jericho if you wanted Rahab running the ball for you and they would answer only if you want to make sure you don't score. Ask them if they wanted Rahab running their race for them, and they would answer yes, only if you want to make sure you come in dead last. But faith trumps all of that. Upon Rahab's alignment with God, she went from someone used by men for their physical pleasure immediately to someone used by God for his redemptive purpose. And we need to remember what faith does. 
We need to remember where God looks, what and how God sees, and not believe the lies that are whispered in our minds and our ears every day. Listen to this text from Romans 7, the end of Romans 7, the beginning of chapter 8, as Paul expresses this. I find this law at work, although I want, it's like this, this repeating rule, this reality that's in me. I find this reality at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Like, like this tug of war inside of us. And there's this desire to do something noble and honorable, but it pulls hard against the same rope as evil is pulling. I find this contention in me, this, this, these two personalities, two voices pulling at me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, in God's reality. But I see another one at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law, the reality of sin at work within me. Two forces pulling in different directions. What a wretched person I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Trump. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We may conjure up one. We may believe in one. We may pretend one. We may, uh, we may create one, but there isn't one. There is no condemnation coming from any substantial, reliable source for those who are in Christ Jesus. Trump. When there is faith, it trumps everything. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit, the way of the kingdom of God, the agenda of God, the values of God, gives, gives life. And it sets you free from the law of sin and death. Faith trumps everything. That's what faith can do to the mistakes, to the bad yeses of our past, to the yeses we wish we would have said no to that we've said yes to. Those decisions, decisions that had we the opportunity to make them again today, we would make differently. Faith covers those. Again, it doesn't undo my past. There's still work to be done from the decisions I've made, but I'm no longer defined by that past because of this great trump card. It trumps everything. Even our most blatant harlotries, faith trumps them. That's a good thing to remember. And secondly, and lastly, it's a good thing to remember that not only does faith change everything, faith trump, uh, does faith trump everything, faith changes everything. So we have this forgiveness that's promised from God when we sincerely come and say, I need you and I've neglected you. Wipe my whiteboard clean, please. Forgive my sins. Lead me now. We have forgiveness, the trump card, but we also experience change. Faith changes everything. Here are a couple of examples from Rahab's life, just a couple of examples. Faith changes our perspective on everything. True faith changes the way you look at everything. For example, note the way it affected Rahab's perspective on the imminent siege. The context for her was everybody's heart was melting within them for fear of this enemy that was going to have to show up and then penetrate two walls, climb up, penetrate their city, and take them on. They'd heard what had happened in the past, and everybody's heart was melting 
with fear inside of them. If you look at two verse, verse 2, 8 through 11 of Joshua, you see, I've already read that, but you see that that was the common view. So that was the common view, that was the most likely view of Rahab, but she stands against that. Her perspective changed completely because of what she understood and professed. Her view was one of opportunity. This isn't going to go well for us, but this might be just the chance I need, this siege. To align myself with the right team, the winning team, with God, the true God. And maybe I can have a different future. And in fact, she did. Because faith changes everything. It doesn't undo things, but it changes trajectory of people and direction. One of the examples of that is it changes perspective. Rahab found a perspective that too many of us have lost. And we would do well to remember it. And that is that some of the best things we've ever experienced in our lives have come on the heels of major upheaval. I mean, think back. Have there not been, I don't know, moves to a different city or move to a different job or uh, an unplanned pregnancy or whatever it might have been, something that you weren't necessarily planning or experiencing or that you thought was awful, it was just terrible, I'm going to have to change high schools in the middle of my high school career, whatever it might have been. And on the heels of all of that, you look back and you think, wow, wow, where would I be today if that hadn't happened? I hadn't changed high schools, I wouldn't have met my wife, or I wouldn't have met this teacher. If, I hadn't, if that business had not failed, I would have never known to go in a different direction and look at how God is. Isn't that true? Even in small things, small things, big things, isn't it true that some of the best things about your life have come on the tailor as a result of major upheaval that at one point in your life didn't feel so good at all. Rahab remembered that. Faith changes perspective. It changes and affects every decision of our lives. Faith also, faith changes everything. It changes perspective. It also changes our destiny. I mean, man, does it ever change our destiny. My great-grandmother was a little old frail Portuguese lady with brain cancer. That's how I remember my great-grandmother. But she was feisty. And we used to drive when I was a kid to Alameda to go visit her. It was not my favorite way to spend a Saturday. But every once in a while, my parents would say, come on, we have to go, let's go visit great-grandma. But I look back now at the change of destiny in our family. And I realize, as far back as I can remember, it was great-grandma that's responsible for it. She grew up and became a follower of Jesus. I mean, she was even a Baptist. That's how serious of a follower of Jesus she was. <laughs> Little Portuguese, frail Portuguese lady who loved her Jesus. When, and you never wanted great-grandma to pray over dinner unless you wanted to eat a cold dinner. Because she didn't have children. She had that thick accent, you know, thick Portuguese accent. She didn't have children or grandchildren. She had children and grandchildren. And when she prayed over dinner, she felt compelled to pray for every single one of them. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the wives of children, the neighbors of children, the dogs and canaries of children. She prayed for everything. What a wonderful woman of faith. I always saw her. I never remember her except laying on her back in bed. And once in a while, she'd get up, and she was all hunched over, and she'd struggle to walk someplace. One time, my great-grandmother did something I didn't understand, I just barely understand now, but I only saw her once or twice a year. 
But in the middle of a prayer, we were all around her bed. She was praying. And she leaned up in bed and pointed at me and said, this one, Tiger, he's the one I've been praying for. He's the pastor, not Clarence. That's, that's what I remember, my cousin Clarence. I didn't know she had cursed me back then, you know. <laughs> but because of her faith, my mother's mother became a follower of Christ. And because of her faith, my mother became a very serious follower of Christ. And of course, she made sure we heard the story and got a chance to make a decision for ourselves. But man, how often and how much can one person's faith, your faith, by the way, change the entire movement and direction of a person's life, of a whole family's life. I mean, you could just keep dreaming from there because faith changes everything. It changes our perspective and it certainly changes our destiny. And boy, did it ever change the destiny of that common street whore, Rahab. Her family and her property were spared. If you want to go to Joshua 6, you're going to see the fulfillment of all that promise and the conclusion of that contract that she made with those spies. Her family and property were all spared. And she went in the eyes of the Israelites from hooker to heroine. She was a hero. She took a huge risk for them. And she was beloved by them. I don't know that she'd ever been loved really before in her life. I already read Hebrews 11 where she's listed among the greats of faith. And in Matthew 1, the severity of the change of her destiny that her act of faith, her statement of faith made blows our minds. Because in Matthew chapter 1, well, you have this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the genealogy of Jesus. This is Jesus' peoples. Jesus was their children. Salmon, the father of Boaz. By the way, Salmon, that, that's who the prostitute married after the siege. She's married into the family of Israel. What a great man he must have been. What a man of grace and different sight he must have been. And then they gave birth to Boaz. Heard that name before? Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. And we know that Jesus comes from that line of King David. She was the great-grandmother of King David. Fifteen centuries later comes Jesus. You think maybe her destiny was changed? Because faith changes everything. We can't even imagine what our mustard seed of faith today has changed that we haven't even seen yet. Faith trumps everything. Your past no longer defines who you are. Faith has trumped that. You're a new creation. There's no condemnation. And faith changes everything. We would do well to remember that.
today. Our perspective on things, it changes our destiny. In life, we're going to drop the ball every once in a while if we're going to play the game. But that's not exclusively bad. Because applying faith when struggling through a difficulty is sometimes the best way to change things for the better. Just ask Rahab the harlot. She'll tell you, yep, faith changes everything. It's a good thing. My friend Ephraim Smith, whom some of you may have met, he preached here when we were building our addition. We were over in one of the hotels we met in. Came and he preached. And I, was, I follow him on Facebook, and I was reading one of his posts yesterday. And he wrote this. He's the president of World Impact now. He used to be our bishop, our superintendent. He says, if I'm willing to learn from my mistakes and not be shamed by them, the learning can deepen maturity and strengthen leadership. If I'm willing to learn from my mistakes. He's not saying cover up my mistakes or pretend I didn't make mistakes, but learn from my mistakes. And then not be shamed by them. Not be so caught up in shame by the fact that I committed them. Not endorsing them, but I'd not be shamed by them and overwhelmed. If I can do those two things, then learning can deepen my maturity and strengthen my ability to lead. And that's true, but it's only possible when through faith we are trusting in God's character. Here's this mistake. I trust your character to take it. And stepping out into his promises. Even though I messed up, I'm still going to be the leader. I'm still going to go forward and probably mess up again. I'm stepping out on your promise that you will never leave me or forsake me. You will always be teaching me, causing me to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Only possible to live into what Ephraim wrote when we're living by faith as we've been defining it. That's the kind of faith that trumps everything. That's the kind of faith that changes everything. With that kind of faith, hearts no longer melt within us out of fear. With that kind of faith, hearts swell within us out of hope. Let's pray. And just take a moment of silence and... Uh, would you ask the Holy Spirit, make clear to me which whispering lie I've been believing that faith needs to trump, that my faith needs to silence. Which lie have I been believing that my faith needs to take by the throat and squeeze it till it's dead? Reveal that to me right now, Lord. Lord, we take these collective thoughts and we lay the trump card of faith over the top of them. We take these things that are not true but sometimes feel true and we submit them to your hand for change. We learn from our mistakes. We, in effect, baptize our mistakes. 
and that you make them even holy and constructive. Thank you for that. Protect that belief in us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Would you stand now and be dismissed with this blessing? And now may the God of some pretty squirrely characters remind you that he's your God too. May he hold you up and strengthen you and keep you from the father of lies. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.